Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. If you have your Bibles, let's take those out, and we're going to open them up to John chapter 15. And as you turn there, uh, I'm going to invite uh, Renee is going to come up to lead us in our scripture reading. Once you've gotten there, if you would uh, stand with Renee and I this morning for the reading of God's word. Again, out of John 15. Good morning. Let me see. We got a mic on over here? There it is. I broke it. Thank you. Okay. John 15, 1 through 9. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we do come before you this morning from a posture of great thanks. The thing that we really should be offering you most is really that, just a simple heart of gratitude. Really our whole lives, just a big thank you card to you. Because we know all that we are, all that we have, all that we will be or need is really just because of who you are. Because of your grace and your love and your care for us. And so Lord, we we come to you this morning with that thanks and with that knowledge, trusting that you know what we need this morning. We pray now, our Father in heaven, that you would give us this day our daily bread. Through your word even now, you would feed us and nourish our souls with what we need to bear fruit, to live the lives you've called us to. So Holy Spirit, would you come? And move, would you anoint me to preach and teach in a way that is faithful and helpful? We seek all of this for your glory and yours alone. Would you get me out of the way so we can see you, God? And we ask, God, that you would speak to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. I'm not sure what week it is, but we are 
two months-ish into what, what started as a study that was, first of all, the name of the series, by the way, is Abide in Me. This is the series that we're in right now, coming from this passage. And uh, this series kind of started, the, the original idea was really just to dive into and explore as we were praying even last year about what the new year could could hold and seeking God. At first it was like, well, let's just talk about this concept that Jesus talks about. Uh, this important idea of, of a Christian who abides in the vine, uh, this idea of relationship with Jesus. And then as we began to kind of unpack that a little bit more, we saw, you know, this is just a dense passage worth every Sunday, every verse worth every Sunday with this theme. And that's kind of where we've been. We've just been chipping away at John 15. Just going verse by verse, thought by thought, allowing God's word to just saturate our hearts and wash us and cleanse us. Um, that's even one of the, the, the verses in this passage is that we're already clean because of the words that Jesus speaks. That he purifies us and cleans us as he reads us with his word, as he cleanses us. And so uh, that's really what we've been doing, is walking through this amazing passage, passage which remember the context here, Jesus is... Uh, he, he's moments, you could say, a few, a few, uh, a few days away from, and even really uh, less than two days away from the cross. This is his last week with his disciples, and he's loving them to the very end by preparing them as best he can for his departure. And this chapter falls in the context of what's been called the farewell discourse, or the upper room discourse, where Jesus is kind of giving his followers a final download of the things of the kingdom so that they can be prepared for life without him. And sandwiched in these teachings is John 15, 1 through 9, this incredible passage that we've been exploring, where Jesus is calling his disciples to a life of fruitfulness, and it's a life of fruitfulness that is on the other side of abiding in him. So fruitfulness is what we're called to, and this is also what we're all desiring, a life marked by life and, and flourishing. We're all seeking true life in our life. Nobody is seeking what Jesus describes. I believe it's verse 6. It's a life of withering. A life of barrenness and dryness and deadness, even though we can find ourselves in seasons of deadness. It's part of what it means to be human, is to wrestle with that. The vision Jesus speaks over our lives in him is that of fruitfulness that we would bear fruit, that there would be fruit from our lives. Uh, but he calls us to a certain approach to that. If, if that's going to be true, it's only going to be true because we're abiding in him, because we have a certain kind of relationship to and with him. Now, one of the main points that we have reflected on for the past X amount of weeks as we've gone through this is this really key idea that John 15 gives us that we have to have really like more than just a concept in our head, this really has to be burned into our hearts. The main point that one of the main points we've reflected on from this passage is that you and I as followers of Jesus aren't, we aren't the singular nor even primary party involved in our fruitfulness. Let me say that again. We aren't, as followers of Jesus, the singular, singular, nor are we even the primary people at work in our fruitfulness. Now, certainly, our part matters. Jesus speaks very black and white about that. He's like, if you don't abide in me, you won't bear fruit. So we're not negating our responsibility. Jesus says very clearly, if you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. Without me, 
you can do nothing. So your life matters. Your choices matter. Your intimacy with God matters. Your pursuit of your relationship with God, it will affect your life and the lives of those around you. But even though, or just because it involves us doesn't mean it totally and completely and only involves us. Another way to think about this is to think that even though there's much at stake for how we live our lives, you and I, though, still are not the author and finisher of our own faith. You're not the originator of your relationship with God. You're not the originator of your spiritual fruit. And you are not going to be the source of the strength that gets you across the finish line at the very end. There's more to what's going on here than just our work and our efforts. Even before Jesus mentions the call for us to abide in Jesus, Jesus describes the other two key parties that are first involved in your life. And there's, there's also a time to be reminded that, that, that these two parties are involved in times where you don't notice them. But they're involved in our fruitfulness from the beginning to the end. And that is God the Father and his work in our lives and Christ the Son. In fact, if you'd like to jot down a little title for what we're talking about today, it's simply this, the Father and the Son. If I was a better strategic planner, this would be a Father's Day message. So let's just say this is a Father's Day message that's come prematurely. Now, here in this passage, Jesus has been describing this reality. Imagine this, that God the Father and Christ the Son are at work in your lives. I mean, have I personalized that? God the Father, I mean, this is real, and Christ the Son are at work in my life, working in my life to make me more fruitful than I could ever become on my own. What a thought. God the Father, and Christ the Son. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of like, don't they have bigger things to do, you know? I mean, being God of the universe, there's, I'm sure there's a lot going on in the world. The thought that the God of the universe would preoccupy himself with you, and your life, and who you're becoming, and who you are, is an incredible thought. Now, there's really two sides to the work of the Father and the Son in our lives. Two sides to the work of the Father and the Son. The first side of this work is what we looked at in the beginning of this section. We could call it this. It's the work of the Father in our lives on behalf of the Son. Okay, That's the first way to think about this. One side of God's work. It's the work of the Father, God the Father, in our lives on behalf of Christ the Son. It's all that the Father does in our lives in relationship between us and Jesus. Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. This is the first thing Jesus talks about. The work of the Father as this like divine gardener that's working in our lives to make us fruitful in and through Jesus. This is what the Father does. As any good gardener, the first thing that the Father does is he plants us in the sun. Jesus is the vine. He's the true vine. He's the only source of real life. And so the Father, what does the Father do? The Father works to get all people into Jesus, to get them branched into the Son. This is the work of the Father. Jesus says this in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Do you see the work of the Father here? 
You see what Jesus is emphasizing? That all who come to me aren't coming on their own accord, but if you're drawn to Jesus, guess what? It's because God the Father is leading you there. What a thought. God the Father is leading you to Christ the Son. As the, as the vine dresser, he knows that Jesus is the only source of your life's fruitfulness, so he's drawing you to the true vine, and he's branching us in him. Anybody thankful today to be in Jesus, to be branched into the true vine? We thank God the Father, who has drawn us to the Son. But it's more than that. The Father, the work that he does on behalf of the Son also involves him taking those branches that are plugged into the true vine and pruning them so that they might bear more fruit. It's like, well, I've I, I bore some fruit. I've been a Christian now this long. Is that good? He's like, we're not done. We got to bear more fruit. There's still more fruit to bear for the glory of God. And so the Father prunes, he cuts things away, he allows things into our life in, in order to take things out of our life. He uses his word to prune and to cleanse us in his son Jesus. That's the first side of this work. It's the work of the Father on behalf of the Son. Now here as we get towards the end of, John, of this section here in John 15 in this passage, we actually see the other side of the work of the Father and the Son. Where on the first half we saw the work of the Father on behalf of the Son, in the second half of this passage we see the work of the Son on behalf of the Father. That's really the emphasis of these kind of final verses in our section. We see God the Father at work to get us into Jesus, but now we see just the beautiful partnership and relationship between Christ the Son and God the Father. Now we see Jesus at work in our lives on behalf of the Father. I know this is like kind of spin-around-y concept stuff, but track with me here. There's real riches in exploring the reality of God as triune, as Father, Son, and Spirit for our lives. Uh, th this is what this section gives us, the work of the Son now on behalf of the Father, the other side of this coin. Um, and really the theme that we see here, let's be reminded of this, Jesus' emphasis on his work for the Father. This is not just here in this passage, but this is really thematic of the entire life of Jesus. Like, it's one way that you can actually, from start to finish, summarize and even follow like a, a threading concept through the life of Jesus is, is really this idea, the work of the Son on behalf of the Father. And you might miss it if you don't apply this filter to the Gospels. But, but if you do, kind of put on this lens and read, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, through this filter of Jesus in relationship to his Father, you will see it everywhere. I mean, this is everything for Jesus. It's the Father. And what does he want? And what am I called to do in relationship with him? I mean, even from the ripe age of 12 years old, we see Jesus doing this. You know the story in Luke 2 where even like the most imperfect parents can feel assured because no matter what you've done, you haven't lost the Son of God, you know? <laughs> now, as I say that, I, I have lost one of my children this week. No, just kidding. Um, I remember, yeah, uh, yeah, that happened one time at... Judah was like nine, eight, nine months. No, he was like a little over one, actually, one years old. 
I don't remember. It was so traumatic, I blocked the details out of my life. And so I remember we were in Fresh Market, and it was one of those, like, Brittany and I, this is usually where things go wrong, is like, I assume that we can communicate telepathically. You ever done that? Where you're like, you know what I'm thinking. I know what you're thinking. I'll just go do what I want, all right? And so I assumed she was with Judah in the cart. She assumed I was with Judah at the cart. And we both, Fresh Market's just so beautiful. Like, it's the same stuff you find at Whole Foods probably, but it's just laid out in a way that causes a, a grown man to leave his child behind. And so I remember, I don't know what I had gotten into. Maybe like, maybe like five to ten minutes later, I heard some commotion, some grocery store commotion from adults. And as it got closer, it was something like, whose kid is this? Whose child is this? What kind of Who would do this? <laughs> Call the police. Um, and I walk around the corner to Judah in a cart, this is what was amazing, surrounded by grandmothers, like <laughs> three or four of them. Just like, is this your kid? Like, I thought they were going to jump me. It was so scary. And Judah was, I abandoned my child. He was left alone in the cart. There was a horrible situation. Now, as bad as I feel about that, you know, I love Judah, but he was, he's not the Messiah. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Mary and Joseph, in Luke chapter 2, are up in Jerusalem for the Passover, and they assume that Jesus is with the caravan of people. You know, they don't check. It says that. They just kind of assumed he was with all of them. And, and really what happened was Jesus was lingering behind in, in Jerusalem, and he, he was teaching and asking these questions that were, were just astounding at even a, a young age, at 12 years old. And, and when they finally come back to Jerusalem after realizing, when they were on aisle seven and realized they didn't have the child, you know, they came back to find Jesus and Jesus says this to them, even at 12 years old, why do you seek me? Do you not know? I want you to notice this. This is in Jesus' mind at even 12 years old. Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? So at 12 years old, Jesus is thinking this way about his life. He's like, my life exists for whatever the father, I mean, it's a family business. My father's the CEO and I'm working for him. It's the father's business and that's what's steering my life. Jesus in John chapter 5, look at this, as, as Jesus grows and begins his ministry, he says this. He says, my father has been working until now, and I've been working. The family business is rolling. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because not only did he break the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God as God the Son. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most surely I say to you, the Son, look at Jesus' mindset, he can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. By the way, isn't that just true of sons and their dads, period? Uh, there's no such thing as like, do as, do as I say, but not as I do. Because the law of imitation will lead fathers and sons, or fathers to lead their sons to do whatever they do. And this is Jesus' model for life. He's like, I'm about my father's business. And he lived this way. He wasn't steered or driven by the demands around him. He just did whatever his father told him to do. That was his goal. That was the bullseye of the target. God, to do what you want me to do. To say what you want me to say. To be about my father's business. And I want to just emphasize that Jesus was faithful to this and had this in his mind. I want you to imagine this now, even up until his last breath. 
we can sure be thankful for the work of the Son on behalf of the Father because that faithfulness, that obedience to the will of the Father brought Jesus to a garden where he said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. And he went to a cross for your and my sin. And it's on that cross that he said, Father, I've given you my whole life and now into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus lived for the Father's business up until his last breath. And I want to remind you here, he did that for you and I. He did that for us. We are the beneficiaries to the glory of God of Jesus' relationship to his Father here. He faithfully did what God called him to do, and he faithfully went to his very end for our sake, to save us, to rescue us, to redeem us. This is, again, a lens that you could look at all the, all the Gospels, again, through the filter of the work of the Son on behalf of the Father. Now, that's actually what we see here in a couple verses towards the end of John 15 that we read. But we're going to do something a little fun, and we're going to venture out of verse 9. Can you believe it today? We're going to venture out of verse 9 in some uncharted waters here of John 15. But in this section, Jesus begins to really unpack three areas or, or aspects of his work for us on behalf of his Father. And you could jot these down. There are three things that Jesus is concerned for in his ministry to us on behalf of the Father. He has a concern for the glory of his Father. He's really concerned about the glory of his Father. Like he's like, that's what I'm here to do. It's to promote the glory of the Father. And that's what he has for your and my life, is to get us to a place where God is getting more glory from our lives. The glory of the Father. And then he talks about the love of the Father. How he exists to display and communicate the love of the Father, that our lives would be marked by the security within the love of the Father through Jesus. And then lastly, he exists to reveal the truth of the Father so that we can say, I know God and I know him in truth. Amen? So the glory of the Father, the love of the Father, and the truth of the Father. Let's start with the glory of the Father as we go back through these verses with this lens. The first thing we want to observe here is that Jesus promotes the glory of the Father. He promotes the glory of the Father. We see it there in verse 8. Jesus says, by this my Father is... What's the word? Let's try that again. By this my Father is glorified. By this my Father gets glory that you and I bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. I love this. He started with that you might bear fruit. The Father prunes us that we might bear more fruit. And now he says that you might bear much fruit. Now, Jesus has been talking about our fruitfulness, and that's really what we could say is the what. The what is our fruitfulness. The how is abiding. We've talked about that. But this is so unique. Here in verse 8, Jesus gives us the why. Why is it that Jesus is working in your and my life, the Father even, to get us in Jesus, to make us fruitful? Why should I ever desire to be fruitful? So that the Father would be glorified. This is his concern, his greatest concern for your and my life. It's not always our greatest concern, but, it, but from heaven down rather than earth up, the greatest concern for our lives is God's glory from our lives. This consumed the heart of Jesus. 
Jesus here is so consumed with the glory of the Father that he's leading us to be fruitful. Now, when, when we say that he's consumed with the glory of the Father, even this word here, by this my Father is glorified, the word there, glorified, in the Greek can be translated beautified, or maybe better, magnified. We don't want to wrongly think that like, we could somehow improve on the beauty of God. We, we can't do that. We could certainly be ugly in the name of Jesus. That's for sure, okay? Unfortunately, many a Christians have been not beautiful in the name of Jesus. But the word here to glorify God, it means to, here's a simple idea, to make much of God with your life. What a thought. What a thought that we actually exist for the glory of another. And that's the concept that Jesus is pointing to here. The reason why we were created, you and I were created, listen, not to make much of ourselves, but to make much of God. We were created to take any and everything that we have and use it and leverage it to make more of God. We were created for this in God's very image created for this. Look at what the scriptures say in Isaiah 43. Uh, it says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. Isaiah 43, 7. Created for my glory. This is uh, why God built the system in the Garden of Eden the way it was. All things made out of his goodness and love to be a reflection of his glory back to him. I love Revelation 4, 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory. That's the idea. And honor and power for you created all things and it's by your will that they exist and were created. You see that the natural order of the, of the created world is that it exists for the glory of God. And it's only, let me say this, it's only God that is worthy of the glory of creation. It's only God that can handle and receive the glory and the honor that creation was made for. Um, this is why we were made. None of us were made to get the glory. Amen? For it's you who made us and not ourselves, but, but not to us, but to your name be the glory. And yet this is still what is broken within the human system. This is what's broken with creation. This is what's broken with humanity. Instead of us orienting our lives around the goodness and glory of God, we have partnered with the rebellion of the fallen angels, seeking instead to make much of ourselves. And that breaks everything down. When we seek to be the object of the glory, everything else falls apart. This is what Paul says in Romans 1. You know, I think by a rule of thumb, like just to be biblically faithful, every church should read Romans 1 at least once or twice a year. Okay? It says this, For the, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. It's speaking to humanity to say that we are without excuse. The issue is not knowing God. The issue is not, is God knowable, or can he be known and found and worshipped? That's not the issue. The issue here is not that God can't be known, it's that he's not glorified. He's not acknowledged as the God that he really is. And so although they knew God, they, uh, were not a, they, instead of being accountable to that knowledge, they chose to be ignorant. They chose to suppress the truth of God, and they did not glorify him as God. This is speaking to fallen humanity. Nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And notice this, and they changed the what? One more time. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves 
Them who exchange the truth of God. This is the saddest reality of our human condition, that we would exchange the glory and truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature, ourselves, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see the natural order that God established that's broken here that leads to the brokenness of everything else? Created for the glory of God. Now I want you to see that this is where the gospel sweeps in to change us. This is where we see Jesus who put his glory aside to take on humanity. I like the way Andrew Murray says it in the book, of, in the book Humility. He says that we're saved through his humility. And it's his humility that's our salvation. That as he gives his life, we are saved from a life of vanity and self-centeredness. We're saved from a broken life seeking to make much of itself. And we are rescued back in relationship with God to the proper place of me existing for your glory and yours alone. This is why we're, what we're saved to. I love the way that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. He's like, here's a great filter for your life in Christ. Here's like our new lens now. As those that have been redeemed and restored through Jesus from a life of brokenness, seeking my own glory, he says, here's how you should think about your whole life now. Whether you eat or drink, and in that context, it was a question of what should I do? It was a right or left turn with eating and drinking certain things in certain company. But, but the bigger principle here is this. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Isn't that a great filter? I'm telling you, I don't think you can go wrong if this is the simple truth of your life. You're like, I don't know where I'm going to go to school. I don't know if I'm going to call them back. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes it's not right or wrong things. It's right or left things. It's like, I don't know what to do. Here's a filter. Whatever you do, if your heart is just, God, I want to just make much of you, I'm telling you, you're on the right track. If that's your filter, if that's what's motivating you, and I think it matters less what you do, and it matters more why you're doing it. For your glory, God. I just want to bring you glory. This is the new filter. So, so look, notice this. So Jesus is like, here in John, uh, John 15, excuse me, Jesus is preoccupying himself with this in our lives. He, he's wanting us now in Christ to make much of God with our lives. He's wanting us to make much of God with our lives. Now, how do we do that? Or another question to ask is like, okay, whatever I do, do it for the glory of Jesus. Like, I don't, want to, I don't live to make much of Andrew. I live to make Jesus famous. I want to make much of Jesus with my life. I was created for that, to make much of him with my life. And I think Jesus models this in John 17. At the end of his life, here's what Jesus said. Here's, how, here's by the way, how you can say the same thing at the end of your life. He says to the Father, I've glorified you on the earth. How did I do that? I finished the work you gave me to do. Anybody else want to be able to say at the end of our life, God, I glorified you with my life. God, I spent my life on making much of you. And here's how I know that. I did what you called me to do. I was the husband you called me to be. I was the wife you called me to be. I was the mom you called me to be. I was the dad you called me to be. I was the coworker you called me to be. I was the servant that you called me to be. I did the thing you put before me to do. 
That's not what you put before them to do. I can't do their thing. They can't do my thing. I've glorified you on the earth by being who you've created me to be and being faithful to do what you've called me to do. God gets glory in this. It's simple. Make much of Jesus with your life by being faithful to do what he's put before you, what he's called you to do. I think this is what Jesus is talking about here when he says God is going to be glorified. Here's the framework he uses. As you do what? As you bear much fruit. I mean, we've talked about fruit meaning all sorts of things, like spiritual fruit and, and the fruit of, like, um, fruit of our relationships and the fruit of our lips. But I really think the context here is like, hey, guys, you're, you're the team, disciples. You're, you're the Navy SEALs for the kingdom. You're going to go out and bring the kingdom of God. And verse 16 will say, go and bear fruit. So this thing is, is this tree is going to extend over the walls of Jerusalem. And there is even going to be some good apples in Boca Raton. Praise God. This thing is going to bear fruit all around the world. Through your lives. I mean, what a vision. God, be glorified in my life as I bear fruit fruit. Um, Man, there's so many other cross-references I can give, but we would be here. Probably till eternity, glorifying God. So, I'll just give you two more anyway, but um, I like Ephesians 2.10, for his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's so cool. That there's things for you to do. There's works for you to walk in. And this brings it all the way back around. Last reference here. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? You see it? Glorify. As I do what you've called me to do, God, people will see it. You'll get more glory. Amen? All right, he promotes the glory of the Father. Let's get into the heart of this now. He displays the love of the Father. Jesus leads us with our lives to make much of Jesus by being fruitful and doing the work he's given us to do. Another way that the, that the Son works on behalf of the Father is Jesus translates or communicates, transmits, whatever word you want to use to bridge the gap between the love of God and our hearts. Jesus exists to be that bridge. God is love, and the channel by which God who is love fills your heart with his love is the bridge of Jesus. I want you to see what is probably one of the most overlooked verses in all the Bible. So much so that I, can't, I can barely find a single word about this verse. There's commentaries out there for everything, and this just seems to be one of those. You ever read a commentary where, like, there's a certain verse you want a commentary on, and then you listen to it, and they just, they just read the verse and go to the next verse? All right, well, I'm not going to do that for you this morning, okay? That, that's ha- that happened, like, on, like, six or seven different commentaries I read. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus exists to display the love of God. You know, many places in Scripture that you and I probably would naturally think to go to if someone's like, hey, I want to know, what, I want to know about the love of God. Word on the street is that God is love. Where should I read about that? 
And we go, John 3.16, it's a good one. Tim Tebow. <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, same thing. Um, that's weird. Um, where, where's the love of God man? How, how can I, what verse can I, I think there's tons of examples that we can give where God's love, where God demonstrates his own love toward us, not why we're sinners. I'm just going to be honest. I don't think anybody's ever come to me and said, hey, I want to know about, I want to I know about the love of Jesus. I said, oh, have you ever read John 15, 9? Which is probably the most concentrated, encapsulated, power-packed scripture in all the Bible about the love of God for you. Jesus tells us here in this scripture, as he reveals the love of the Father, that his love for us is a reflection of the love that the Father has for the Son. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Now, maybe because our Trinitarian theology is so skimboard surface level that we can't even begin to fathom the depths of what Jesus is saying here. In fact, because of that, because Solus Church is not going to be a skimboard theology church, okay? I have a book for you that I would encourage you to read. This is one of my favorite books of the past decade. It's Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. It's called An Introduction to the Christian Faith, and that's kind of tongue-in-cheek because most of our knowledge of the Christian faith has no depth of our knowledge of God being triune, which is what makes God God, which sets him apart, you know, that, that makes Allah a completely different being, that makes our understanding of God wide, and this idea of, of God being this eternal community of love. Uh, so, so when Jesus says here, I, I loved you as the Father loved me, we're like, yeah, I'm sure God the Father really loved the Son. Hold on. There is more packed into this reality than we can maybe see with the naked eye. John 17, 24, Jesus says this, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. Notice this. For you, Father, Jesus says, have loved me before the foundation of the world. So, so when Jesus is talking about the love that the Father has, I mean, Jesus could have said a lot of things. He's like, he could have said, the way that a mother loves her child, I love you. The way that a, that a husband loves his wife, I've loved you. The way that a dad loves their kids, or a, you know, a cat lady loves their cat. There's a, cat ladies love their cats, right? No shame in that game. Think about all the different examples and displays of love. He could have said a lot, but Jesus said, no, no, here, here's, if you want to know love, my love for you, he drew from the love of the Father that was upon the Son from eternity past. This is the nature of who God is. In the book, uh, Delighting in the Trinity here, Michael Reeves talks about the, the important idea that being that God is an eternal community of love, like God has ex existed. Think about this. Even before creation, even before God created the world and is a creator, even before he rules the world he created as a ruler, God was a father loving his son from eternity. And, and that love was so self-sufficient and beautiful, it could only but give life as a fountain. And that's why we're here. We exist because of this father-son eternal relationship giving birth to all things that are beautiful. If we don't see it this way, like we can have an idea that says, you know, God had, if God's just a creator, he had to create us to be sufficient. He needed to do something. 
But really the idea is that God exists as this eternal relationship between Father and Son. It's a love unlike no other. It's what makes God love. He exists eternally. As a love relationship between the Father and Son. And Jesus says that the love that the Father has lavished on the Son, the beloved Son in whom the Father is well pleased. The idea here is I want you to think of it as like the Father delighting in the Son overjoyed over the son. We only ever have imperfect understandings of a relationship between a father and son. And we can tend to use that as the filter that we understand God through. But this is unlike any other love, the father loving the son in perfection, in delight. And this is the love that Jesus communicates to us. It's a love like you've never experienced. It's a love like we've never understood. And I love that it's a love beyond a concept. In, in, in uh, 1 John, it says that in this, the love of God was manifested. So, so it's not, it, is, it is an idea first. It's the love of the Father that's given to us. But it's also the love that's displayed. Jesus displays what God's love looks like in giving up his life. Here's another hidden verse you've never seen before. John 3.16. Gotcha. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We see what love is like. Love is, is self-sacrificial for the sake of the other. This is the love that God has for us. He loved us so much so that he saved us and gave his life for us. It's the love that the Father has for the Son displayed in the Son giving his life for us. And I want to also say that it's not just a concept. God's love is not just an event, though it, it's not less than those things, but it's also an encounter. Romans 5.5 5 says the love of God is poured out in our hearts. I mean, some of us, we need to graduate from love, the love of God as a concept, and we need to get our eyes on the cross and see it as an event. Some of us haven't made that jump yet. Like, that's the love of God. But a lot of us stop there when that's meant to be a stepping stone to a greater depth of God's love, where you look at that event, and the love of God actually does something to your heart and life. Like the love of God goes from a concept to an event that you see that then fills your heart with an overwhelming power to actually love God back and love others the same way. So this is what Jesus says when he says, abide in my love. What, what an awesome call. Like with all the things that, that abiding could be. I mean, I can do this. Like keep all the rules. I've tried that. I'm not a good Christian if that's the standard. But here's abiding. Be loved by God. <laughs> make your home in God's love for you. Live from the fact that you're loved before you do a single thing. Just be loved. This is the model of Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and all of his life flows from that reality. I love Jude 1. Keep yourself in the love of God. Maybe today some of you have uh, escaped the love of God. In your minds, in your thoughts, in your life, you have thinking, wrongly thought that you have somehow left the love of God behind. And I love this call here. Keep yourself in the love of God. How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Do we keep ourselves by behaving? No, we keep ourselves by believing. Keep yourself in the love of God by beholding the Son and allowing His love to be poured off in your heart. Amen? All right, we got one more for you. You guys are doing great. Last one, and uh, we'll transition to the Lord's table here. The last thing we see Jesus doing on behalf of, of the Father is he reveals the Father's truth. 
Jesus working in our lives on behalf of his Father. He's seeking to glorify the Father. He's seeking to communicate and display the love of the Father in such a way that it transforms our hearts and lives. He goes on to talk about that. Um, And uh, Jesus, in, in verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. So the evidence that you're in my love is you start to obey God and love him back. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. And then he says this, you know, love God and love your neighbor. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he he says, you can look at my life. He's about to do this. He's going to teach them how to love one another. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for their friends. So he's like, okay, love one another as a good friend. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And he's obviously, too, there speaking about his, his own example. He's about to go lay down his life for them. And this is a great section where Jesus then starts talking about friendship with him. This is really cool. Greater life, love is no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. So this is like, Jesus is like, this is how I've loved you as a friend. And then he says, which, like, if you don't have some interpretive uh, skill here with this verse, this is kind of a funny scripture. You are my friends, I love this, if you do whatever I command you. Reminds me of being on the playground as a kid. Like, you know, I'm not going to invite you to my birthday party unless you, you know. That was like the dig back then. It was like, well, you can't come to the party, all right? It's my birthday party. I'm the king. You're banished, exiled from my party. Now, it's an interesting verse. I don't think any of us have ever, hopefully we've never used this language when someone, hey, like, I just really thank, thankful for our friendship and what God's doing. I just want to say, like, you could be my friend if you do whatever I tell you. All right? The door's open. Listen, I'm a friendly person. Friendship's here. But you got to obey every single command I give you, okay? Good. We're friends now. Now, let me say that, that, that. Okay, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, hey, if you disobeyed today, you've lost your friend card. All right? You're no, longer, you're no longer a friend of Jesus. No, he's just teaching about how to be his friend. What a way to think about relationship with God. Moses knew God as a man knows a friend face to face. Abraham, the only person in the Bible who's called the friend of God. And Jesus says that we're the friends of God. And and he's a good friend to us. He's a friend that gives his life for us. Amen? And here's how we're a good friend to him. We obey him. We give our lives for him. We honor him. Now, it's this whole idea of, of us being the friends of Jesus. He says, no longer do I call you servants. Yet you are servant and he's Lord. But a servant, the difference between a servant and a friend in the house is a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. So you're not less than a servant, but in, in the kingdom, you're actually more than a servant. You're a servant friend of God. And as a friend, you know what the master's doing. For all things Jesus said that I've heard from my father. This is awesome. He goes, I've made known to you. Here's the coolest thing about friendship with Jesus. There's no secrets. He puts it all out there. Any and everything that's true about the Father, he reveals to us. What a, that's a good friend to have, isn't it? Imagine a friend that's like, hey, I know everything there is to know about God and who he is and what he's like and what he, you know, what he does. And I'll make it known to you. It's like, I'm going to hang out with that friend. I'm going to spend time with that friend. This is what Jesus does. He reveals the truth of the Father. He gets us to the point where we can say, I know God in truth. I, I'm not resulting to my intuitions. I'm not looking at my performance. I, I'm not looking at my speculations. 
I wonder, it's, it's, I wonder what the percentage is. There's probably a pretty high percentage of us that we don't realize, and even a, a high percentage in our lives that we don't realize about our theology that's based off of just speculation and assumption. Well, this is what God is like. This is, and, and it's like, well, are we paying attention to the source of the information? Is it true? Is it revealed by Jesus? Is it in God's word? And that's what Christ comes to give us. True knowledge of God. True security. Assurance that we're sons and daughters of God. Assurance that we're forgiven and redeemed and set free as we were singing. You know, a lot of times we, I was think, thinking about that song we sang on the way in, just thanking Jesus that he set me free. Anybody else struggle to, say, to sing that? I just, I'm just curious. I'm, I'm going to start and say, I struggle to sing that. You wonder why? Because I look at areas of my life where I don't see freedom. Anybody else? But we sing that by faith. We don't let our lives preach the gospel to us or to give us our theology. We look at what Christ has done and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So we go, oh, I am free in and through Jesus. So this is the work of the Son on behalf of the Father. I gave all of us, I think, this text especially, gives us a lot to digest and think about. Um, ultimately, we know that the greatest work that the Son does on behalf of the Father is going to the cross. Amen? And so let's close our time here as we bring this reflection to the event of the cross. I'll invite the band, and uh, Kyle's going to come out to lead us in a final reflection. Thanks, brother. Um, so much from this message, I think, ties into communion so beautifully. Um, but I especially just want to zero in on 15, John 15, 9, right, where Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, I love you. When we think about what communion means, right, communion is for us to remember the sacrifice, the shed blood of Jesus, the broken body of Jesus, the ultimate act of love for us, right? In love, he has paved the way for us to join the Father himself in the Spirit, to join with them in their relationship, to come into their presence. He opened that door, and he says, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Jesus' act is a manifestation of the Father's love, not just the love of Jesus, the love of his Father, the love of the Spirit. Something they, from the very beginning, before the foundations of the world was planned, that they would redeem us and love us. So church, what we're going to do is we're going to take this time of communion to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And with that said, this is really something just for followers of Jesus. If that's not you today, I'd ask that you refrain from this. However, I invite you that maybe for the first time that you pray and you say, Lord, I want that love. I want to be part of that relationship. That's open to you. Jesus made the way for you to do that with his, his broken body, with his shed blood. That Paul says in Romans 10, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth one makes confession to salvation. If you have some questions about what that looks like, I'll be here, and Pastor Andrew will be here up front afterwards, you come talk to us. For everyone else, what I'm going to have you do is we'll all come forward and we'll take uh, the cracker there at one of those stations, and you'll dip it in the juice and head back to your seat. And then just take some time to sit down and just sit with the Lord in prayer. Ask him to reveal to you, what are, what are the things that are, what's an obstacle to your love, Lord, for me receiving and abiding in your love? 
What's in the way of that? Is it sin? Is it doubt? Is it discouragement? What are those things? And you bring those things to him and place it at his feet and ask him to cleanse you once again with the blood of Jesus and receive that grace. Remember what he has done for you. And after some time goes by, Andrew will come back out and he'll close us. Okay, so I'm gonna read in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians 11, verse 23, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Amen. All right, so church, so now I'll invite you guys to stand up. Go ahead and come forward, and let's take communion together.
Lord, what a joy to come to this table to share this meal. This table that we get to sit at with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christ, through your work, your perfect and complete work on the cross. Holy Spirit, through your effectual, faithful calling of our lives. And Father, for your glory and because of your goodness, we just honor you, God. We praise you, Father. We praise you, Son. We praise you, Holy Spirit. Godhead three in one. So we thank you today, Father, for working to lead us closer to you. And we pray now as we go out, help us to be about your business. Help us center our lives around relationship with you that we might live from that place and bear much fruit. Not for our name, but to your name be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.